There are three primary media outlets that you can use to promote your book. The first is paid media. This is where you pay money to promote your book on someone else's platform. So typically this is advertising, Amazon ads, Facebook ads, radio ads, etc. The second kind of media is owned media. This is promoting your book to your own email subscribers or on your own radio show or whatever else that you own yourself. But the third kind of media is earned media. This is when you get featured on someone else's platform without having to pay for it. The art of getting earned media mentions is called PR or public relations, and it's far more effective than paid media, not just because it's cheaper, but because people pay more attention to it. And this makes sense. If you're watching a TV show and they're interviewing the author, you're going to pay more attention to the interview of that author than you would a commercial for a book in between the segments. So how do you earn coverage in these media outlets? How do you get that free promotion for your book? Well, find out in this episode of Novel Marketing, the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. I'm Thomas Umstead Jr., CEO of Author Media, and this is the show for authors who want to build their platform, sell more books, and make a difference with writing worth talking about. And our guest today is a board-certified internal medicine physician, speaker, and award-winning author. And she knows how to do a media tour. She's been on MSNBC, Women's Day, Fox, Fast Company, Psychology Today, Inc., CNN Health, TED.com, and of course, Novel Marketing. <laughs> She's come on this podcast before in her episode about how she grew her email list from 2000 to 22,000 is still one of our most popular. Dr. Sandra Doughton-Smith, welcome to the Novel Marketing Podcast. It's great to be joining you again. So tell us about your first media tour. So you're a physician, you decide, okay, I'm going to start writing books, I'm going to start doing media. What did that look like getting started at the very beginning? Before you became the DeSandra Dalton-Smith and you'd spoken everywhere, you were pitching some show for the very first time. What was that like? My very first media tour was actually put together by my publicist. It was over 10 years ago now. So this was back in the day where publishing houses actually did put quite a bit of effort in helping you do this. I'd never been on radio, TV or anything in the past. And they set it all up and I just had to show up and talk about my book. And honestly, it was a fiasco because I had no media training, no idea what to talk about, no idea about how to convert those opportunities actually into interested customers or sales or anything else. And so it was horrible. It was honestly a waste of time is what I believe it was because I had no idea of what I was doing. You know, in all of my time in this industry, I've never once come across an author who got media training from their publisher. <laughs> it's like they don't do it, right? If you're running for politics, media training is the very first thing your consultant has you do. It's like, Got to get you through media training before you make a fool of yourself in Hollywood, musicians, even NASCAR drivers get media training. But the authors are just thrown to the wolves and like, good luck. <laughs> I hope it goes well for you. That's certainly how I felt. And I remember a couple of times, like my very first one or two, I remember coming off of the call. It was a radio call. And I, I remember coming off of that and I'm thinking, that was horrible. <laughs> I'm like, what did we talk about? Did I even talk about the book? I don't even know what I said. I, it was so bad. 
So you had to learn some lessons the hard way, I imagine. So you're basically you're getting media training from the School of Hard Knocks, <laughs> doing <Yeah>. interviews. <laughs> so walk us through some of those early lessons. I imagine the first one is make sure you mention the name of your book, because that's a classic mistake. You do a whole interview. You never mention your book one time. It has no impact on sales because they are only vaguely aware that you're even an author. Yeah, there are a lot of lessons learned along the way. But some of the key ones that I had to learn to even keep from wasting my time is to make sure that I had some idea how I wanted the conversation to go. I think part of the problem was I just hopped on with no goal. It's like, I'm just going to answer whatever questions the person gives me with no mindset of I want to make sure I cover X, Y, and Z. I want to make sure I mention the book and the website. I had none of that. And so the very first thing I remember doing is just coming up with it was a cheat sheet. As I mentioned, this was back in the day where it was there was no Zoom it was just the phone. So nobody knew if you had notes. And so I just had this cheat sheet of my key points I wanted to make sure I discussed and make sure that I had all the facts written out. Not that I was going to read it, but just so that I had some type of outline. Preparation is key. And the more prepared you are and the more practiced you are as well, the cleaner each individual sentence is. But the key really is not reading it. Because I will say as an interviewer, I would be more willing to give people questions ahead of time if I knew they wouldn't write up the answers. Because as soon as they start writing up the answers, it kills all of the diamondism of the interview and it becomes kind of stale, but being familiar with what you're going to say ahead of time and saying it naturally and organically, that's really powerful. Yeah. I think a lot of authors are speakers as well, or they aspire to be paid speakers at some point. I always look at each of those media opportunities as like mini speeches. It's an opportunity for me to get comfortable thinking quickly, get comfortable not reading all of my responses and become familiar with my topic enough that I can talk about it without having to have PowerPoints and notes and all those other things. Yeah. So one step of that preparation is writing out some of your thoughts ahead of time, getting comfortable with it. Another is just practicing. You know, A lot of authors really disdain going on some small podcast, right? They want to go straight to the biggest podcast on their topic. And I'm like, actually, Going on a smaller audience podcast just for practice can be really good. <laughs> One, it's easier to get booked. And if you don't do your best, they have a small audience. And so you're able to practice in that safer environment. Well, it's still being real. Right? It's still a real interview. But if it doesn't go well, you're not obligated to link to it on your website. <laughs> that is such great advice. And I think it's so true. I think every new book deserves to start with a small audience when you do your interviews, because you don't know what questions you don't know until someone asks out of the blue and you're like, Oh, never thought about that. And so it's helpful to have that little bit of barrier between you and a larger opportunity. And so I actually recommend that that authors start with a small podcast with the first couple of interviews for every new book, because that helps you start formulating and getting an idea of what you want to say, how you want to say it. And honestly, I think sometimes we miss opportunities because we have a horrible interview on a big stage. And it gets you in a situation where you then don't really want to promote that book anymore. I eventually did end up doing some media training. And one of the things that my media coach persistently kept telling me to do is write in sound bites, write in sound bites. And I'm like, I don't know how to do that. I'm an author. Give me 50,000 words. A sound bite is a little bit too small for me to figure out what I want to say. But honestly, most of us will naturally talk in sound bites without thinking about it. 
And when you listen back to some of your old interviews, you can actually pull out those little nuggets that the person repeated back to you or tweeted and find some of those sound bites just naturally. And a big part of that is understanding what kind of medium you're on. Because if you're doing a th- if you have a three minute segment on Fox News, every word out of your mouth has to be a soundbite because you may mm-hmm. your segment on your topic may be three minutes, but you may only have 30 seconds to say anything. The CNN anchors or whatever the news show, they are on this really tight clock. And if you start saying more than five sentences, they're jumping on top of you. So that's one end of the extreme would be cable news. The other end of the extreme would be a show like the Joe Rogan podcast where he'll let someone sit down and go for three hours no breaks and they get to explain themselves in complete detail and you have everything in between right there's 30 minute podcast episodes like this Mm -hmm. one there's a five minute or 10 minute segment on a radio show where you have a little bit more time to develop your ideas and i think the longer shows are probably easier developing those sound bites requires some practice you have to listen back to your like it's like ooh, that was really good i captured my thought in a really tight phrase I need to remember that. So again, start on those easier, longer podcasts. You don't want Fox News to be your first interview. I, I had a friend who was interviewed on Fox News. It did not go well. <laughs> I could tell he was not ready. Uh, he hadn't done the small interviews or the you know, small audience interviews leading up to it. It's like, man, now everyone has seen this. They're not going to want to have you on CNN. They're not going to want to have you on MSNBC. You've missed your shot. That's one of the things I hear a lot of people say, well, how do I get started? Well, you start with the small ones, and then that gives you something to show the the mid-sized ones and then the larger ones. So even with those smaller opportunities, act as if you are on Fox or whatever it is and treat it as such. Every time I get pitched, that's a decent pitch and not obviously they're just carpet bombing everyone and they're a bad fit. But if it's a legit pitch, one of the first things I do is I go to their website, I look at their media kit or their press kit. And I want to see if I can find interviews that they've done on other shows. And as a podcast host, I'm listening for, when are they articulate? Can they capture what they're trying to say well? Are they well-spoken? And just as importantly, do they have a good microphone? Are they talking into the speaker on their laptop? Or are they wearing some cheap $50 gaming headset that their kid told them to get? I'm not going to have that person on the show. If you want to come on Novel Marketing, you need to have a real microphone. You just sound like you're... In studio, and I can often tell that very quickly. And so for some of you, if you pitch the show and you're like, why didn't I get featured? That may be the reason. The third thing that I look at is how well does the pitch of the topic fit with my show? And this is, I think, really important as you're pitching radio shows and podcasts and TV. You're pitching the topic as much as you're pitching yourself. And for me, the big turnoff is vague topics like how I marketed myself as an indie author. That's no good. You're never going to get on this show with that kind of topic. But it's like, here's how I used email marketing to grow my list using this specific technique. Ding, ding, ding. That's what's going to get you on, right? Uh, When I had you on last time, it wasn't generally about email. It was about specifically how you used a survey and a quiz and how people took the quiz and learned about how they were resting and then ended up on your email list. And that specificity was what I was looking for. Not all shows are looking for that specificity, but the main point I'm trying to make here is that the bait needs to fit the fish. (laughs) That's a great point because, as you mentioned, I've been on a lot of different platforms, 
And let's say with Fox, I'm specifically talking about work-life integration and how that relates to rest. If I'm pitching Fast Company, I'm talking about how their employees are leaving the company because they are wanting better work-life balance. All under the same framework but completely different topics versus if I'm pitching Shape Magazine, I may be talking about human performance and how rest actually helps athletes do better. So this is more for nonfiction authors, my comments, but you have to look at your topic and look at how can I apply it to this particular audience so that this audience actually gets benefit from it. When you can convince a producer that you understand that audience and you actually have something that can help serve that audience and articulate that in your email, you're going to get selected. Yeah, don't expect them to do it for you. Because if you're pitching me and you haven't adapted your topic for my show, I don't know that you can. (laughs) Because your examples are perfect, right? Because you're talking about the same thing. You're talking about rest, which is the topic Mm -hmm. of your book. And everybody rests. But the benefits of rest are very different if you're a CEO than if you're an athlete or the way that you frame it, the language that you use. And when you take the effort, and it's not a ton of effort, but it is some work to send them a different pitch, you're demonstrating to that producer, hey, I know how to contextualize this topic for your audience in a way where they're going to sit up and keep listening or they're going to keep reading the magazine. And that's one thing I had to learn very quickly as well. For a long time, I searched out, how do I find out who's the producer or you're pitching the host directly? And depending on the size of the show and the details, sometimes you're pitching a guest coordinator who's a person you have no clue who that is because they usually are hidden behind the wall. But you have to understand that that person's specific job is to vet you. So anything you can do to help them vet you quicker, just like you were mentioning, having at least a central location, even on your website, where you have a media kit or a Google Drive or something, where they can quickly go see a couple of past interviews, see your headshots, see your social media, all of those things to be able to say, yeah, this is someone I think would be a good fit. We have a whole episode on how to put together a press kit. And we will have a link to that in the show notes. And also, we're going to have a link to Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith's press kit. Because when I was prepping for this episode, I pulled up your press kit. I'm like, this is one of the best examples of an author press kit I've seen in a long time. So I encourage you to check hers out. It's got all of the right pieces in the right places. But I'll tell you, that screening person, the guest coordinator, whatever the title is, they don't have the authority to say yes. They only have the authority to say no, right? Their job is just to say no to the... 80% that are the wrong fit, and then they pass the 20% up the chain. And so realize that your pitch has to be good enough where it still sounds good secondhand through someone you don't know, because they're going to be making the case for you to other people in the organization. Yeah, one of my favorite interviews and probably one of my biggest interviews, a top five um, health podcast that I was on, I it took a two year process. It wasn't like I sent it and automatically I sent it and the guest coordinator was like, let this, let me send it on to the next person, the host actually, and didn't hear anything back, connected back and forth. Then it was one of those where, you know, radio silence, you're not hearing anything from your emails. A year or two later, I sent an email again to the coordinator with just a, a sample of a interview I did with another large platform, completely different. It was TV. They're a podcast. And that kind of pushed it through to the next thing. So I think always keep in mind that sometimes it's not really a no, it's just that they may already have everything booked for 2022. 
the bigger the show, sometimes they've booked way out. And so unless you get a no, just keep trying. And it may be that they've already booked somebody on a similar topic to yours. So this podcast is the longest running book marketing podcast in the world. There's almost no topic that we haven't hit before. Right. So I've talked about media tours before. I've talked about getting booked on podcasts before as a guest. And so this is one of those topics that I try to hit about twice a year, once to two times a year. It's in the rotation. Other topics like email marketing, I try to hit every quarter because it's more important for more authors. Every author needs to do email. Not every author has to do media. It's a really effective. But if the idea of talking into a microphone terrifies you, it doesn't disqualify you from being an author. And so if I had just done a get booked as a podcast guest or get booked on radio interview, even though I'm like, yes, I'd love to have you on, but I wouldn't want you to have you on right now, right? It's got to fit in the overall rhythm of the show. And that's really common. It's like, oh, if only you reached out to us a week ago, we just booked somebody else to talk about the Grammys this year, but we'll have you maybe, we'll keep you in mind next year for the Grammys, whatever your topic is. Keep that in mind that sometimes they're not saying no to you or even no to your topic. They're just saying no to you in terms of this season. And the more you get familiar with each media outlet that you're pitching, the more you can get an idea of what sorts of topics they feature and when they feature those topics and realize maybe six months before the magazine issue on the get buying guide for Christmas comes out, that they're getting people to write that article. So you need to pitch it in June or July if you want to write it in August for it to go out in the magazine in November. So when it comes to pitching, what other tips do you have for crafting a pitch for a show where it makes them be like, yes, let's get you on? Well, I always say lead with what the general idea is. So you want to make it clear that you didn't just copy and paste. I I know personally, if I get an email that doesn't have any kind of personalization, and it reads like it was a copy and paste, I'm not going to really pay much attention to it. And it's the very same thing with pitches. If it looks very generic, you're probably going to get passed over. I'm a podcaster as well. I love it when someone specifically discusses a prior podcast that's recent. They don't have to tell me all the details of what I talked about with the person. But when they say, hey, I saw that back in June, you talked about this with this person. And I have a similar topic, but it's a little different. And this is how I approach it. I'm automatically drawn into that email and that pitch because I know this person actually did some legwork, which then makes me respect them that much more and a little bit more interested in going deeper with them. Actually listen to an episode of the show first. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this is particularly true if you're wanting to do TV, like combative TV. I know I keep using Fox News as an example, but Fox News isn't a good fit for most people, especially novelists. They don't really cover fiction very often. But if you are on Fox News, you may be on with four or five other faces of people who hate you, right? Like you need to know that that's what you're in for, right? If you've never watched Fox News before in your life and you don't know that there's going to be six different faces all on the screen, all fighting for the same five minutes and all who disagree. And this is a really high heat format, as opposed to, say, a one-on-one podcast interview between two people who mostly agree is a very low heat format. And so watching that show or listening to that show ahead of time and understanding what makes that show unique. So in that email that you send, part of what I like to see when I get the pitch is that they understand what makes novel marketing unique as a show. One of my goals is that every episode feels like a session at a writer's conference where you like you learned a lot and it was really specific and really actionable. And I don't have a bunch of episodes that are someone's story of how they went from unpublished to published. That's a great kind of episode and I do it occasionally, 
but that's half the pitches I get. And that's just not the nature of this show. Yeah. And another one that I would probably say that is oftentimes when someone hears you on the interview, they're driving or they're running while they're listening. So they're not sitting at their computer just ready to type things in. I finally thought, you know what, I need a lead magnet. I need some way that when this person gets done hearing after their treadmill, they have a really quick custom URL that I can say that they won't have to think too hard about it so that they can go and type it in and get on my list so that I can continue the conversation. That way I have a hope of actually selling more books because I'm not dependent on them remembering the exact title of my book. That's right. And often if it's a podcast, they'll also include a link to that free giveaway. So you're calling it a lead magnet, which is the industry term. A lot of authors call it a reader magnet, or some people call it a cookie. And I imagine you have one for our listeners. So this was a good time to point it out. What's your cookie for our listeners if they want to get on your email list? Yeah, so it's ichoosemybestlife.com slash author support. And what it does is it puts them on my email list that allows them to be able to get information about free writing opportunities that also pay. So I like to keep track of some paid writing opportunities that are out there for different publications. I know this is a bit meta, but that's a real clear benefit, right? If you're wanting to make some money, if you want to know about opportunities to write, you go to this website and you sign up and you're giving people not just a reason to come to the website, but a reason to sign up, right? It's like every once in a while I send out an email and yes, I'll have a link to it in the show notes at authormedia.com if you want to check it out. Now, so that's really important, the reader magnet. And if you're writing fiction, the reader magnet's going to likely be a short story. If you're writing nonfiction, you have a lot more options. But another big element of making your interview successful is picking shows that are a good fit. <laughs> you're more likely to get a pitch accepted if the show is a good fit, but also it's a more target-rich environment. So what advice do you have when it comes to doing research? How do you find those small podcasts and to get started on I would just go to like iTunes or Spotify or any of the big podcast websites and type in whatever the topic is I speak on. So I would type in health or I type in wellness or I type in mental health or something like that and see what podcasts pull up. And then I would individually search each of those podcasts to get to their website. Once you're on their website, you either they'll have a um, guest form where you can fill out if you would like to be a guest. Some of them just have a contact me page. And I don't recommend pitching on the contact me page. What I usually will do is I'll just do a really quick one liner or so that ask, what is your process for submitting a guest? That way, if they have a form or whatever, they can at least point me in the right direction. So I don't feel like I'm spamming them. And then the other way that I sometimes would do if, if none of that's available because some of the huge podcasts, none of those things are available on their site, I would sign up to their newsletter. And when you sign up to their newsletter, it sends you an email. And I would reply back to that email and ask, what is the process for pitching a guest? And I got to be honest, probably out of 100 times, maybe five, someone didn't reply back. They always replied back, even if it was to say, we don't take unsolicited guests, they always replied back. And many of them replied back with the name of the guest coordinator and an email address. I love that. That's a really great initial way to start the conversation because now it's anticipated your pitch. It's not coming out of the blue because nobody has ever asked me that. <laughs> Everyone just carpet bombs me with the pitch. And so that's <laughs> a really great way to do it. Another tool that's useful that I like to use is listennotes.com. It's a search engine to search podcasts, but it will also tell you how popular that podcast is. 
and if it's in the top 10% of all podcasts and if it is where it ranks. So, oh, this mm-hmm. podcast is in the top 5%. This podcast is in the top 2% because it can be hard with podcasts to get a sense for the listenership. And it's not perfect. It's not like YouTube where you know exactly how many subscribers and uh, views it has, but it's better than nothing. And another tool that you can use is a podcast host directory, which gets you a email address for the podcast. But I think a really great initial pitch is, hey, how do I submit the correct way, right? I want to go through the gate, not climbing over the wall. I I love that a lot. Yeah. And if you're having to go the route of signing up to their email list, when you reply back, you're a subscriber. They already know like you're a fan because you're on their list. So it already feels a little bit more personal, not like a stranger who's just spamming everyone. And you really feel like, oh, okay, well, this person's invested. Another hack, if you want to get to know a podcast audience really well, really quickly, is to look for something in the footer of their website called Advertise With Us or Advertising. Because if you click on that, they'll often have a packet, a PDF that's got all the information about the podcast and the audience, often exactly how many downloads they get, what the demographics are of the audience, and a lot of really rich information for advertisers who want to buy ads. That information could also be very useful for you as somebody pitching, be like, oh, now I know how to tailor my pitch for the podcast just a little bit better because I know who's listening to the podcast. If you're doing your own media tour and you're not going to hire a publicist, you're going to do it yourself, you're going to go on these sites and pitch a bunch of different people. If you're copying and pasting, you're going to do a whole lot of them because they're not going to be specific enough for the podcast that you're pitching. But if you do take the time to actually tailor the pitch, make sure that it's not something they've done recently you or you hit it in a different angle, your success rate goes up. I, when I do my media pitches for a new book coming out, I always aim to try to send out at least 20 every week. And with sending out 20, and that sounds like a lot because it is a lot, you're having to dedicate some time, some hours to that to be able to accomplish it. But usually when I'm doing that, it's right at the release period. So I'm doing that as a true media tour. So I'm going to try to do that for at least the first two months of a book coming out. After that, I just do 10 to 20 pitches per month with a goal of consistently having two to three interviews every single month for the rest of my life, basically, because if you stop pitching your books, if you stop talking about them, and nobody else is talking about them, you're not going to be selling any books. That's just the reality of it. Somebody has to be talking about your books for them to sell. And so oftentimes, you've got to be the first cheerleader to get the word out there. Yeah, walk us through your process. Let's say you've just finished a book, it's coming out in nine months. How do you plan your media tour? Yeah, I'm in the process of doing that right now. I have a book coming out in September. So what we do is we count back about three months because podcasts usually within three months, you can get a a lot of things scheduled. And then during that three month period, we start processing through looking at what are the best fits? What are the podcasts we want to pitch? Oftentimes, I actually will put it into either Google files or a Excel file, but some type of format so that I can quickly look at it. The reason I do that is because I don't want to have to come up with that information again, if I have another books with similar topic. And so I have files that are health files that are business. And then this book specifically talks more about racial relationships. So I'll have a file now that goes over those kind of topics. And so you want to have that together so that you simplify your life for future books. But then I go in with that and I try to log when I send the first email, 
I try to log whether or not I got a reply. Sometimes you won't even get a no. You mentioned rejection. Sometimes you don't even get a no. You don't get anything. And so unless I get a no, that means I can still pitch them again is how I take that. So if you get a no, you can mark them off the list. But if you don't hear anything, then I just go back in and repitch them at six months, a year later. And do you send them a different pitch or a same pitch? A different pitch. Yes, a different pitch. Because at that point, something didn't click. It wasn't whatever. They didn't say no, but something wasn't enough to get a yes either. So usually I'll switch it up and hit it a little bit different. I don't reply back to the old email. It's a completely fresh email, a completely new um, conversation, unless they had said, you know, something like, oh, we just did this. Maybe check us back later. Then maybe I'll use the same email just to refresh their memory. That's really smart because then they were like, oh, I've heard that name before. I don't remember where. Because <laughs> there's some people like almost respond back like they're almost the right fit. But life's busy and the amount of work to massage their pitch into being the right pitch, too much work. But if they were to come back six months later with a slightly better pitch, I may very well say yes to that pitch. So let's go back to your process. This is really good. So you start three months out. You start identifying the podcasts to start pitching. And then you start that pitching process. Uh, what happens next? I try to, during that first month that we're doing everything, try to send out at least 20 or more pitches per week. And sometimes it's all in one day. It's an eight-hour day of just finding and crafting and, and sending. And I say not to copy and paste, but you can have a template that has some general information so that you're not having to rewrite the whole thing. But that first one-third does need to have some customization to it. And so you can have parts that are templated but you just want to make sure that you keep it personal. The place that a lot of authors I work with that tend to fall short is they don't actually keep on top of what comes in. So it's like they get all gung-ho about the pitching and they pitch, pitch, pitch. And when they start getting yeses, they don't have a system in place on how to reply to that. Because if somebody says yes, you need to be able to quickly jump on their calendar, get that scheduled, send them the media kit. So those things already need to be in place because Every host is going to need some basic things, your bio, your headshots, your social media accounts, a couple of sample questions. Almost every one of them is going to ask you those things. And so if you don't have those things already ready to go and you're having to figure out where it's at in your Word docs and pull all this stuff together, you are going to get overwhelmed very quickly. So if you already have some of these things in a media kit and you have a templated email reply where you can copy it and send it and say, oh, great, I look forward to getting on your calendar and chatting with you. And here's my online media kit with XYZ that you may need. Let me know if you need anything else. And you can even have that customized where you actually force yourself to schedule it. And so that way on your email, you say, hey, I jumped on your calendar for, you know, June 5th. And so look forward to chatting with you. Just you have to have some way in advance that you're going to actually organize yourself because I'm sure you probably have had this experience too. You say yes, they schedule the interview, then they don't show up. And it's like, okay, did you put it on your calendar? So you always want to make sure that once you get a yes, you have a system in place to keep all of that flowing. So the first most important tool is that paper calendar that you've used since you were in high school. You need to say, I loved you. You're a good friend. It's time to move on. <laughs> you need to move to a digital calendar uh, because once you have a digital calendar, one, you can set it, you can connect it to your phone so that it buzzes and beeps and reminds you to show up because if you don't show up for an interview, they're not going to want to have you back ever, right? especially if it's live. 
So the first step is a digital calendar. I use Google Calendar. A lot of people use Outlook. Apple's got a good calendar. And then you put into that calendar everything that you do in your life. So if you have a standing meeting on Tuesdays at 10 a.m., you put it in the calendar and you set it to repeat every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Because once you have your whole life captured in a digital calendar, you can use the magical tool that we didn't have when I first started this podcast, which is Calendly. So most podcasts, they'll have Calendly already and they'll send you a link. Say, hey, click this link and schedule a time. And if you have a digital calendar, it'll overlap with your calendar. and You can see when you're both free at a glance. But I have a version of Calendly just for me being a guest on somebody's podcast if they don't send me their link. So if they send you a link, use theirs because they're going to ask other questions like your bio and stuff that will help with their system. And you want to be a you know, hospitable guest. But if they don't, I don't want to be emailing back and forth. Can you do Tuesday at 2? No, I'm busy Tuesday at 2. Okay, how about Thursday? That can be a dozen emails if you're not careful. (laughs) Nobody's got time for that. But Calendly is only magical if you've already adopted digital calendaring and you've put your paper calendar to bed. That is so good. I live by my Google Calendar. If it weren't for that calendar, I would not get to anything because (laughs) my life is laid out on that calendar. So that's absolutely necessary. I'm not sure how you function without it. If you're going to do the work of getting booked, then make sure you show up and make sure you have everything in place to get all the information sent off to them. Okay, so you've done your pitching, you're getting back rejections and you're getting back acceptances, you're hopping on those acceptances and you're booking the time. And so let's say next week you've got five interviews lined up. What does this week look like? How do you start preparing for those interviews? Well, the first thing I always look to see is, do I have some type of lead gen, lead magnet, something that I'm going to direct people to? And then right before the interviews, what I usually do leading up to is I take a quick look at the past interviews just to get a feel for the host, because you have better conversations with people that you feel like you have some kind of affinity with. And if you've never met this host, they're a stranger to you. And so some podcasts do it on things like Zoom or Skype or different things where you're actually seeing them. So like you're talking to someone and you're looking at each other, which can be very uncomfortable if you're introverted and don't like people like that. (laughs) So you want to get comfortable with them a little bit. And having them talking to you in your head before the interview can help with that. And the key really is to match the tone of the show that you're on. So if you're on a show that's more combative, listen to an episode and be ready to be a little bit more combative. Or if it's everyone's giving each other hugs and being super encouraging, don't be combative on that show. But I want you to imagine that you could go back in time and give advice to that Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, who's doing her first PR pitches and first tour with that PR firm that didn't prepare you. What would you have told your past self to help you do a better job that first time? I would have told myself to enjoy it. I was so scared of saying the wrong thing. I was so scared of messing up. I was so scared of forgetting what my book was about. You could hear literally the fear in the conversation. There was no laughter. There was no fun. I didn't enjoy it. I was monotone. It wasn't fun to listen to. I didn't enjoy listening to it. And I was the one talking. (laughs) I would have told myself, enjoy it. Have fun with it. This is the book that you poured your you know, time into. You get to share with people. It's a get to. You don't have to. Everyone doesn't have to do PR. But if you choose to, then act like it's something that you take joy in. It's something that you see as a privilege. Even if it's radio, they can hear your smile. And if you're grimacing, if you're angry, they can hear it. If you're having a good time, you're inviting the listener to have a good time. And the more of a good time 
that you have, uh, the more likely you are to get invited back because that's what hosts want. And that's one of the things it gets easier as you go. It's a lot easier to come back on a show that you had a good interview with than it was the first time. So Dr. Sandra Dalton-Smith, where can people find out more about you? My main website is ichoosemybestlife.com and you can learn about me and all my books there. All right. We will have a link to her sign up if you want to get informed about paid writing opportunities or someone will pay you to write. It's good to get that income <laughs> even before your novel comes out. And you can find that at authormedia.com or just scroll down in your podcast app. If you would like more help on getting booked as a podcast guest and learning how to do your own media tour, I'd like to recommend my course, How to Get Booked as a Podcast Guest. In this course, you'll learn how to find, pitch, and guest on podcasts. I walk you through my specific process. You'll get templates for what to say when you're crafting a pitch. I even have a tracking tool to help you keep track of your pitches so that things don't slip through the cracks and so much more. You can find that at authormedia.com slash courses. And if you're a patron of the podcast, check Patreon for a link that will save you 50% off the price of the course. Speaking of patrons, our new May patrons are Terrace Clark, David Tabsky, Robin Battam, Leslie Davis, Amanda Trumpower, and Kim Nowlin. Thank you so much for helping keep the Novel Marketing Podcast on the air. The Novel Marketing Podcast is a production of Author Media. Our producer is Lori Christine. This episode's audio was edited by William Umstadt, and the blog post is by Lori Christine. To find that blog post version of this episode, visit authormedia.com slash 326. I'm Thomas Umstadt Jr., your host. Thank you for listening, and live long and prosper.